Let's take up our Bibles at this time and turn to John 21. Jesus is risen, and he's visiting now the disciples. And this is now the third time we read twice in this narrative that Jesus shows himself to all the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we consider now the word of God recording this event. John 21, we'll consider and we'll read the first um, 19 verses, first 19 verses. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, he said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. What follows will be our text for this evening, roughly verses 15 through 21, or verse 19, I should say. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jodah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. 
This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. That's as far as we'll read. Amazing visit of Jesus, the risen Jesus, 40 days after he was, among the 40 days after he was risen, a visit to his disciples. In fact, we read in verse 14 that this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. But if you look at verse 1, <clears throat> there is a, uh, something significant about this appearance because it says that in this way he showed himself and everything that follows is a description of this visit of Jesus, this special visit, the third time to his disciples. This is, in fact, so special because it has to do with the care of his church. And if there's anything care, uh, that's important to Jesus, it's the care of his church. So he comes to Peter, whom he needs to reinstate, and that publicly, and he comes to those disciples gathered there, reminds them and empowers them and enlightens them about this great commission that is theirs as they are entrusted with the sheep, the church of Jesus Christ, who are his. And so there's the calling, and there is the incentive that's given. Jesus visits them and assures them of their calling and of their qualification, even as he forgives Peter and reinstates him. This is important for the church today. The apostles represent the church of Jesus Christ, and they stand for and they engage in the apostolic ministry. Peter represents the church here, and so do the other disciples, the apostles. They are the foundation on which the church is built. The great commission here that's given to Peter, representing all of us to feed the sheep and to feed the lambs and to shepherd the sheep and tend for them, that's our great commission. And as we consider the ministry of the church, of the education of the people of God, the discipling of the people here, and also the little lambs in catechism, and as we are reminded of the great commission to disciple the nations, teaching them to observe all the things of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this message is for us that we might feed the sheep and the flock of God. And so the theme of my sermon is Feed Mine. First of all, we consider the shepherd's sacred calling. Secondly, the necessary commission of those shepherds. And finally, the great expectation the shepherds do have as they minister to the flock and feed them. Jesus tells Peter, representing all of us, not just one papal church, but all of the church, he tells him, to feed the lambs, first of all, in verse 15, and then to tend the sheep, verse 16, and then to feed them, feed his sheep, verse 17. Three different ways, three different uh, words Jesus has, and they all basically are the same thing. Jesus would have Peter and the apostles and the church represented in them to care for the flock. And the reason is, the sheep and the lambs are his. He speaks of that this way. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. 
He's referring to the elect of God, those who are chosen in Him, the ones before the foundation of the world who would be born in time and called out of the world to be the church, the chosen ones who are also the property of Jesus by His blood. They're His, He says. They're mine. Feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs, He says. And He is emphatic about this because he cares for those he has purchased as his own property. Jesus is the one who buys them on Calvary with blood, forgives all their sins, gives the elect the right to life, and then in time he calls them personally and by name out of the world by giving them the spirit and faith that come from heaven, gifts of God to join those sheep whom he has purchased on Calvary, to him now in living communion. This is the great incentive the shepherds have of ministering to the flock entrusted to their care. They do not belong to us. They belong to the Savior. Even the parents must say that the sheep and the lambs that are given to them, they are not theirs really. They're only entrusted for a time to their care, but they are the Lord's. This is what we say in baptism. When we baptize an infant in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, it is literally, the formula is, as Jesus said, we baptize them into the one name of the triune God. To be baptized into the name of the triune God is to be baptized into the fellowship of that God, incorporated brought into a living relationship so that as we reminded ourselves in our prayer, we are in the world, but the most amazing thing is is that we are in Christ in the world because we are His. We're that close to God. We're that close to God so that Jesus could say and pray that the disciples would be as close to God as the the Son is to the Father. John 17, you can read that. He's praying for the unity of the church. He likens the unity of the church unto his unity with his Father. Now I say to you, is there anything better than that? For in that, in that precious communion, we have this fellowship with God, which is more than life. We have reason for living. We have reason for serving God because this shepherd so cares for us that he qualifies us to do just what's before us to relate to people who are just cantankerous, just as bad as we are, and also to befriend those who are friends of God. He gives us to have this perspective, this worldview, as we reform say, this reformed worldview, so that we can look at the world, even look down on the world in the light of the word and know what it's all about. Do you want to know what's happening in the news? Make sure you read the good news first and you'll know that even though there's bad news all over the place, the good news is God is drawing the lines. That's what I've been saying increasingly to myself and others ever since COVID hit and the government tried to take over everything and we were just about helpless with regard to it all. God is drawing lines here. He's saying who is on the Lord's side and who is on the world's side. And it became clear when many churches afterwards had to close the doors because people got used to staying at home. 
used to be comfortable, used to being comfortable Christians, which they were while they're in the pew, but now they know there's an alternative, the internet, and we'll just be church people on the sofa and sipping tea. Well, beloved, the Savior owns us. This is the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is it? I'm not my own, but I belong to Jesus Christ. I am his and he is mine. And there's this amazing friendship. And there is this shepherd I know because I'm his sheep. And he calls me by name. He holds me in his hand. And the Father holds me in his hand for Jesus' sake. And I will never be let go. People might let me go. I might have to let go of people and things and other other preoccupations of my life. But God is mine and I am his. This is what we say. This is what we're all about here in the church. And to bring that message to a broken world that thinks it's hopelessly lost in the sea of circumstances and in all the brokenness of broken home after broken home and corrupt official after a corrupt official, to hear the news, there's another way. There's a way from heaven that's given among men, a name and an identity in another even God who is the real God, the I am that I am. And to now say that I am what I am by the grace of God, that's liberating. And that's refreshing. And that's beautiful. Because Jesus is beautiful. Beautiful Savior, Jesus. No more need to name drop. Oh, I went to the concert the other day, and I know them. And did you hear that music? And isn't that cool? Isn't that the latest thing? And do you know that, that I know a wealthy person and, and all this? Not, none of that. You don't have to, have to say, you know, I have, I have a palace somewhere in Italy, or I, there's, there's blue blood somewhere I know, No need to pretend you're someone else. No need to envy other people who might be more popular than you, smarter, faster, wealthier, because the name of Jesus you know. And he knows you. And when he calls you by name, and when he he reminds you in all the din, in all the noise, By the still, small voice of the Spirit, you're mine. When you fall, he says you're still mine. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. John 10 is that great good shepherd passage. We'll be quoting from that in a little bit here. It's amazing how much he is, this good shepherd. Isaiah even prophesied it in chapter 40. Verses 11 and 12, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. But the striking thing about this text is Jesus is visiting the disciples soon to go away from them and to leave those disciples in charge of the church. Better way, 
He's going to leave those disciples to be under shepherds of the church, the apostles, then pastors and teachers and elders to follow them. So a second point of this first point of the shepherd's great calling is that Jesus shepherds his church through his church. And this, I say, is remarkable if for no other reason. How in the world does he do that? Because we're not like Jesus. We're not the beautiful Savior. We're not the Redeemer of the world. We're not the ones who send forth the Holy Spirit. We're not the ones who forgive sins as much as some churches like to think they are. And we're sinners. And yet Jesus says, 1 Peter, through Peter, who himself is commissioned here to feed the flock, he says even to the elders, 1 Peter 5, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am also a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not by dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over these entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the sheep, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And here, Jesus says three times to Peter and to the church represented in him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And Jesus says this, <clears throat> And he's speaking of bringing the word to them, of course, when he's speaking of feeding. And when he speaks of tending, there's a Greek word there that simply means be a shepherd to them. Shepherd the flock. We get the word poimenix from that, which has to do with pastoral work. Poimeno, my lambs, he says. And he reminds Peter and the church as well that there's sheep and there's lambs in the church. Contrary to all of the objections of the Baptists who say there's no lambs in the church, and it's true, there's no lambs in their church. But there are lambs in Christ's church, little ones who can barely walk, who are as needy as sheep, and who show it all over the place. Little ones, heirs of the covenant of grace as much as the parents, Little ones who will be called out by the grace of God. Little ones whom Jesus says, you suffer them not to be prevented from coming to me, but let them come to me. Bring them to me. Jesus, the lover of souls and sheep and lambs. We're to feed them. That means bring the word. Men of God, women of God, bring the word to others whom you might be teaching. And in the official ministry, insist that the minister bring the word, just the word, and tend for the lambs and the sheep as well, carefully and tenderly, knowing the needs of sheep, the different personalities and receptivities of the sheep and the lambs, their weaknesses, their strengths, how this one's prone to wander over there, that one's prone to wander over there, this one's a good little sheep, the other's... Well, they just are prone to follow whoever and look for the greener pasture on the other side. Pastoral ministry, shepherd ministry, is very involved and very complex. We bring the word, though, and that has a way, does the word, of enlightening 
ministers and elders and deacons and, and also other teachers in the church, not officially office bearers, but those in capacities of teaching, to ta- care for the, the sheep just the way they need to be cared for. Very, very uh, important to remember that. That's a calling. Now, I could go on and on about that, but I want simply to speak here of the necessary commission. The disciples at this time were visited in a certain way by Jesus. He reminds us of that by his inspired word when he says to them, this third time that is appearing to the disciples now at the Sea of Tiberias, that in this way he showed himself. And there are two ways he showed himself. First of all, by uh, meeting them at the shore and going fishing with them. Secondly, he showed himself in a special way by visiting Peter, representing all sorts of people who are prone to deny the Lord. But first of all, let's consider that Jesus visited the disciples here and visited them while they were fishing and miraculously caused a great catch of fish to be caught by them. And this was all a visit for encouragement of them in the gospel ministry to be fishers of men. It is striking that in Luke 5 already, we read that Jesus earlier in his ministry had also spoken to Simon and said to him, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And remember in Luke 5, Simon answered him and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they did this, there was this great catch of fish, so much so that they needed help. The boats were beginning to sink And Peter at this time said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And at this time Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And this is his point at this point toward the end of his earthly ministry. Jesus visits the disciples, and they are those who have determined, following Simon Peter, I'm going fishing. And they said with him, We're going to go with you also. And they went out. They toiled that night, and they caught nothing. The morning came. Jesus, not recognized by them, stood on the shore and said, Children, have you any food? He's speaking as a spiritual father. And as those who are necessary of education, he would train up these children who would train others. They are the pice, and he is the pedagogue. There is pedagogy going here, tender communication of a shepherd to his sheep, in the way they should go. So they knew they had no food, or he knew they had no food. They answered no, they knew it too. And he tells them to cast the net on the right side of the boat and assures them that they would find some. And they did. And there was this great multitude of fish. And Peter is overwhelmed by it all. And John himself identifies Jesus. It is the Lord. Peter jumps into the water, swims to Jesus, Jesus meets them on the shore with a fire and says, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Well, there they are. And there is a number at this time that's given, 153, 153 fish that are given. Now, I don't want to speculate too much about this number, but I do want to say something about it. The disciples are commissioned 
to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They would be ministers not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, all the world, all the known world, wherever the Lord would send them to bring the gospel. It is said by some that these 153 fish are symbolic. And they're symbolic of the aliens that were in Israel, the Gentiles that are in the world. And the way that some people come up with this, and I don't think it's too far-fetched, is to compare this number, 153, to 2 Chronicles in chapter 2 and verse 17, where Solomon numbered all the aliens, that is, the non-Jews that were in the land of Israel after the census in which David, his father, had numbered them. And there were found to be 153,600, and they made them to be workers for the work of the temple. Now, some people have said this 153 fish, therefore, represents that 153,600 more or less. So that one fish stands for 1,000 people, this number of complete, completeness. And so there you have it. Jesus is saying, you are, remember, commissioned to be fishers of men, even to aliens and strangers of the commonwealth of Israel. Now, however that comparison might be true with that number, it is the case that Jesus commissioned the disciples earlier and now is recommissioning them to be fishers of men by this miraculous catch. And it wouldn't be surprising to me at all as if this word, 153, is not arbitrary, but inspired by the Spirit to represent all of those whom Jesus says are not of the fold as the shepherd, but they are the other sheep, John 10, 16, which Jesus has, which are his, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. There is nothing arbitrary about the Lord. Nothing arbitrary about the fact that when Jesus fed the 5,000, there were 12 baskets remaining of fragments. Could it not be that the fragments themselves could represent the Gentiles who would be united to the church, the 12, and they themselves would comprise the people of God? I speak no more on this. Point is, there's an encouragement here. Jesus had said, without me you can do nothing. Jesus says, and when the disciples listen to what Jesus says, they can do anything. And even in the hard work of gathering uh, men who are just as fish, men who are just as sheep, men who are prone to go astray, sinful, sinful, sinful men. Could be as well that Jesus is reminding them powerfully here of their calling to be in his service and not in their own fishing calling, even as it seemed like they were determined to do at this point. It's almost as if Peter at this time is so discouraged, he says, I'm going fishing, forget this discipleship thing. And the others join with him, and Jesus says, hold on, hold on. Unless I give you the increase in your job, you're nothing. And in fact, I'm telling you now, that's not your job anymore. Your work is to bring in souls for the kingdom. Your work is to be mine. Your work is to be my shepherd's. Let nothing distract from this work. Your work 
is mine because these sheep are mine. And the fish, wandering in the sea of nations and swimming around helplessly and with no purpose, they're mine too. That's the first time, and that's the first thing about this amazing third visit of Jesus. The second is, of course, and everyone seems to emphasize this, Jesus' special words to Peter. I think there's no disagreement, and there ought not to be, that Peter is visited especially here for a special purpose, and that's to reinstate him into the ministry. I do want to remind you that Jesus had visited Peter also the first time, the first day. We don't know what they talked about then, but Peter was visited that first resurrection day. But here, the third visit to the disciples, he takes Peter aside. They'd eaten breakfast. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, verse 15, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus then said to him, feed my sheep. And then speaks to him of his demise and apparently of crucifixion, maybe upside down, as is the church tradition of reporting on this. Be that as it may, three times reinstated. This is reminding Peter of the three times he denied him. And three times Peter is saying, when Jesus asked, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I love you. But he can't use the word that Jesus gives. There's two different words here in the Greek. Jesus uses one, Peter, another. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he's speaking of the agape love, a love of God and the Spirit. And Peter, when he says, yes, Lord, I, you know that I love you, he says, I, I love you with affection. And that's the word uh, phileo. And that's the word we get Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. It speaks of human affection. Also, God can have this affection in Jesus Christ, but this is all that Peter seems to be able to say at this time. Whether there is a significance in this or not, we're not sure, but the Holy Spirit uses two different words here. And Jesus, you, say is, you, you see, is he's speaking of to Peter here to elicit from him a confession of his love, but also to work in him humility. He's denied Jesus. It had to do with his lack of love for Jesus, his lack of faith in Jesus. And so Peter needs to know that Jesus still loves him. It's not, you see here, that Jesus needs to know. Jesus knows. Peter's right. You know I love you. You know all things, he says. Imagine this man, he's being broken to pieces here. And you might think, Jesus, you're cruel. But notice, Jesus doesn't say, now, Peter, you messed up the other day, didn't you? You really messed up. And you blew it, didn't you? You're a mess, aren't you? And I don't know if I should forgive you. I don't know about this. 
Come crawling, will you? Show me something. He doesn't say that, does he? Jesus just asked the question, the piercing question. And he asks of us tonight, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I think that Jesus would have to come to us a thousand times, a thousand maybe, because of all the times we've not loved him. And each time say to us, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Working in us repentance and humility. Because we know that we love him, but the love that we would have for him we don't show. And the hatred that we have for him we so readily show. That is the natural hatred. The love of the world we so show as being greater than our love for Christ. Now, the first time that Jesus says, or asks Simon, son of Jonah, he doesn't speak of him as Peter here, does he? The rock. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He, he, ends, he adds the word, do you love me more than these? And there's been a question among commentators, scholars, theologians, and preachers about what the these are. And there can be three interpretations. I think one, however, is the best to say that for the last. It could be that Simon, who has chosen fishing here and fish, money, is being challenged about his love for Jesus more than anything else in the world. Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than these things that are added to you miraculously now, but normally in your fishing? Do you you love that? And that would apply to anything in the world. And certainly there is some credence to the, the view that this is what he's referring to. Or it could be that Jesus is saying, do you love me more than you love these disciples? Do you love me more than other persons in life? And this is something we have to wrestle with too sometimes. Jesus comes to us and challenges us when our love for persons is too great. Oftentimes when our grief at their loss is too great and shows that we love them too much and overmuch, do you love me more than you love these persons in your life? Do you love me more than things? Do you love me more than persons? Do you love me more than all of these and all of these people? But I believe what Jesus is especially referring to here is to the question whether Peter loves Jesus more than the other disciples love Jesus. You recall that just before Jesus was uh, delivered over, he uh, said, you're going to all scatter. You're going to all leave me. Peter said, if they leave you, I I never will leave you. I never will leave you. So many words he said that. Peter bragged of his faith, of his conviction, of his boldness, of his being a man who would not leave his friend in the lurch. Right after that, Jesus said, Peter, surely I say to you, you will deny me thrice, not many hours hence. And that was his downfall, his pride. So Jesus seems clearly to be speaking here of this 
moment of temptation when he asserted himself as the greatest lover of Christ, the greatest believer, the greatest of the disciples, the one who had love for Jesus more than anyone else, loyalty he would show to Jesus. And Peter now is rebuked by Jesus, isn't he? Peter, do you really love me more than these people? Or are you just on the same level as they are? Like a sinner sort of level. The ground of a sinner, isn't that where you're at, Peter? Are you just a normal human being who needs saved just like everybody else and who needs forgiveness just like anybody else? You see, Peter here is brought to realize as he had to realize if he would be a faithful apostle, that he's not the Pope. Peter is not the Pope. And Peter had to know that right himself. Too bad the church didn't follow up on that. And they cite Peter as an example of great leader of men, hardly sinful, a saint, above all saints, a servant of servants. Here, Peter is... Reminded of the greatest thing for ministry, humility. Do we know that, brothers? Humility, the greatest thing for ministry. There's a commission here that's given, a reminder of the calling. I call you, I charge you to be mine. But there's also qualification given, that is virtue. And in the example of Jesus teaching Peter, however painfully it is that he teaches him, and however painful it is to Peter, Peter, there is this lesson in humility, this lesson in being a lowly man among men. When you bring the word of the Most High, reminding them as you bring the word, that you're just a sinner just like they are, and you're bringing the word to the sheep. Humility. Lesson in the gospel ministry. Jesus asks us, men, do you love me? Men, do you love me? Men, do you love me? And all we can say, hardly looking up, is, oh, Lord, you know. We're kicking our feet. You know, you know I do. You know I do. You know I still do. You know that. Because I know you love me. So Peter is led here the way he should go. And the whole church represented in him. And as we are about to conclude a sermon on the teaching ministry of the church, it's a good thing to be left with. Jesus visits us for the 3,000th time. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. I love them all, and I entrust you with my sheep, my sheep. Do the work of the ministry. Make full proof of it. Don't deny me, but declare me. So, the importance of a Christ-centered ministry. That's what the church is taught here. The church with authorized and qualified men to lead the way.
And notice here, Jesus does this in public. The other disciples have to know that Peter is now reinstated. That is, leaving Jesus in the lurch, his being so feisty and so proud and so arrogant will not do. But Jesus has a way with Peter, and he's having his way, and he's still Christ's man. The church has to know this. The church has to know when she calls ministers and calls elders and deacons, and especially the elders and the ministers involved in the teaching and shepherding of the flock in a special way, that these men are called of God, that they love Jesus more than people, they're not worldly, or excuse me, more than things, they're not worldly, and more than people, they're not respecters of persons. So important in the flock. We don't favor our friends and our family in the flock because it's one flock, one family that comes together and is together as a church of Christ. We are those who are above reproach with regard to this because we love Jesus and his cause and not this person and their cause. That's what this ministry is all about. So that human beings, however great or small, aren't the main thing. The shepherd is the main one, and his shepherding is the main thing. Remember that, little flock. Remember that, and be glad for that, because that's what God has given us here. Men of God and a minister by the grace of God who belongs to Jesus and who loves Jesus above everything and who knows that he's forgiven. Imagine having a man in the pulpit or a man in the house who doesn't know anything about forgiveness. They can't forgive. They can't bring the ministry of forgiveness not without being hypocrites and everybody being able to see through it. But when there's a man, when there's a man who's been brought to his knees and over and over again shows that he's just a man but shows that there's the love of Christ in him and that he loves Jesus and is loved of Jesus, that's the man we'll follow. Because he follows Jesus, even as Peter was called, even to death, that's part of the significance anyway of Jesus saying at the end after he says, feed my sheep the last time, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you're old you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And signifying by this is death in which he would glorify God. And when he had spoken, he said to him, you follow me, Peter. You follow me all the way to the cross that I had to die on. And you bear your cross. And no matter, even if you die in excruciating death, just remember, I'm your shepherd too. And you're mine. Follow me. And when you follow me that way, in the suffering ministry, might not be the popular ministry, but the suffering ministry, you're following the lion who is the lamb, and the great good shepherd of Judah, the people of God. 
That's a good place to walk in. The place of following Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he leads. This is also the expectation, the confidence that people can have who are God's ministers, who are God's, the teachers of God in the church. Jesus owns the sheep entrusted to us. They're given to our care, and they're given to our care so that we can love them and show the love of God to them, and Jesus will bless that ministry. Jesus will bless that word that's preached, that word that's taught in catechism, that word that's taught in the homes of the people of God, that word, and he will bless that tenderness that we show on behalf of Jesus and also that discipline that we show on the behalf of Jesus when the keys of the kingdom have to be exercised. Jesus will bless and he will give the increase and he loves us, sovereign grace. He loves us because we would champion the sovereign grace of God. May God bless us and continue to be with us all the way as the people of God who will be taught, who will learn, who will teach, and who will constantly give glory to God. The more they know, the more they love, the more they praise to the people of God because their God is great. And their Savior is a great shepherd. Amen. We ask you, Lord, for your help we might be encouraged in our calling, in our calling to teach, in our calling to shepherd the flock. We pray, Father, that you would remind us of our ordination, of our qualification, of your grace and forgiveness. We pray that the congregation may truly be enthralled with the Lord of glory and be thankful for the ministers that he gives who lead us to the truth of the Lord of glory. Thanks for shepherding us, Lord, teaching us in the way we should go, giving us the promise that you are the God who fulfills your promise and you will never let us go, for we're yours. Lord, give us to hold our heads high and have humble hearts and happy hearts as we come from the place of worship tonight. Prepare us also for the Lord's Supper next week, God willing, and for more ministry the beginning of our educational ministry and another formal season of Bible study and catechism. Lord, we pray that in all the busyness we may truly be glad in the rest, the gospel of rest that we're taught. Hear our prayers and bless us and keep us and make your face shine upon us. For Jesus' sake, amen.